welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming from Washington. I'm host of the podcast Transformative Principle, author of the book School X, and How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You, and soon to be another book that I'm, I'm read, reading the edits today, so that's pretty exciting. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Hello, everyone. Richard Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyber Ethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising out of the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts in the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. So Jethro, tell us about the book. Well, I submitted it to my publisher and he sent it back. So I haven't looked at it yet because honestly, I'm a little bit nervous. You know how that goes, but I'm sure it's going to be fine and I just need to do it. But well, that's, in broad strokes, what, what are you writing about? So it is called, right now, How to Be a Transformative Principal. I don't love the title. I need a better title, so I'm still working on that. But it is the 12 key dispositions and mindsets that you need to be a transformative principal, based on about 435 interviews on my podcast, Transformative Principal. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to reading it. Yes, well, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. So our topic today is a little bit sobering for uh, principals and for other administrators and for educators. What we're going to be taking a look at today is the relatively sharp rise in the use of social media and digital communications to make threats to schools of various kinds of violence and harm. And you know, this is a this is a problem honestly, that's been growing steadily throughout the course of my research into cyber traps. It was something that popped up back in 2011 when I did cyber traps for the young. And unfortunately, educators have been dealing with it throughout this period of time. I wrote about it in the first version of cyber traps for educators and then focused a little bit more on it in cyber traps for educators 2.0. When the next update of that book gets done, we're going to have to do a fairly deep dive because this is just a huge problem, and it's not easy to imagine how we get our hands around it. Yeah, it's it's nearly impossible to get our hands around it, to be honest, because there are so many different facets of this. And so just a couple. Um, number one, you have to take every threat seriously. You can't, you can't say, well, I know this kid. I know they're not going to do anything. You just can't afford to do that. It, the stakes are so high, you can't afford to not take every single threat seriously. 
And well, and you know, it's interesting, Jethro. I don't think I've ever asked you this directly, but did you have to deal with this when you were in the in the principalship? Yes, a- every single school I was at, I had to deal with wow. it. Yep, and it's it's just a it's unfortunately a part of life. And our first big uh, interaction with it as a country was the Columbine shooting. That was the mm-hmm. one that got that got people to pay attention. But there had been school shootings before that. There have been school shootings since. But that was the big one that I remember in my lifetime where everybody said, this is this is a big deal. Um, And then, of course, uh, just a couple years ago, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida uh, event that happened uh, was was something that did happen. But what people I don't think understand is that these threats are happening all the time, you know, day in and day out all across the country, there's some sort of threat. And you you have to take them all seriously because if something does happen, then it's really, it, you would never be able to live with yourself, you know? <laughs> and so, so you have to well, take it seriously. I, I think that's absolutely the, the takeaway message from, you know, sort of the top of the show is that this is not something you can just brush off and say, well, kids will be kids. I think one of the things that, you know, this show is particularly interesting to me. I mean, obviously having served on the school board, we had these discussions all the time. And a couple of the neighboring school districts when I was on the board um, had serious incidents. Like there was one, I think in South Burlington where they shut down the schools for three days in a single week because they were having trouble getting their hands on this. But this is a particular problem that we can point to as absolutely being worsened by technology. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, when I was in school and and realistically when you were as well, if somebody wanted to do this, they could still pick up a phone and call in. But with caller ID and things like that, it was much harder to do that and get away with it. Mm-hmm. And it's only really been since the advent of internet and social media that kids have been able to attempt to have some degree of anonymity. Now, we'll talk later in the show about why that's not completely true. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there's that sense out there that they can get away with it by hiding through various mechanisms. Well, and before we even get there, I want to step back a little bit because a lot of the threats are not even anonymous they're not even trying to be anonymous so these are these are kids who make an offhand comment in a text message or a or a snapchat group or something like that where they they may not even see it as a real issue that they're threatening somebody but because somebody sees it and they say well that sounds scary i need to report Mm. that which is we're grateful for that but but these come from all different angles. And so you can get a, a text message one day that somebody shares with you. You can get a Snapchat message the other day. You can get something from TikTok another day, something on Instagram another day. And they can just come through all these different vectors to you at the school. Not to mention people who are making anonymous threats or trying to do things uh, just to just to rile people up. And and they have real repercussions in the day-to-day work. One, it's it's very time-consuming to deal with them, to I'm be sure. sure. So what was your procedure? Like if, if when you were serving as a principal, what kinds of things did you have to do when these things arose? 
So the first thing is, is you assess whether or not you know who the person is. And I will say 99 times out of 100, we knew exactly who did it. And we already had a relationship with that person. Um, so, so we figured out who it was. Then we assessed whether or not it was credible. And most of the time, it was not credible. It was somebody saying something dumb in a message somewhere because they just weren't thinking. But that doesn't mean that we didn't still have to go see who it was, see what their what their temperament was, how they were feeling, how they were going to interact with us. Um, and then finally, we would we would re, re, take action in that situation. And so we would sometimes lock the school down. Um, sometimes we would uh, we would have to send notices to parents. Sometimes we would sometimes we could talk to a student, see that there was no issue, and then we would just report it. Um, up the chain in the district and so that they were aware of what was going on and you know there there were times where the student was physically in the building making threats and we'd have to lock down the school while the student's there there are times where the student is not in the school so you have to track down their parents make sure their parents know where they are and what they have right. access to um, and so it just depends on on the situation which I think is just even more difficult because of remote schooling that has happened over the past year and a half that they can, um, the kids are not physically in the building. When a kid's physically in the building, you can get eyes on them. You can make sure that they are, um, that they're where they're supposed to be. You can make sure they don't have anything they shouldn't have and all that. So it's, it's really, it's very disruptive and it becomes the priority when there are other things that you need to do for your job. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I, I think that, you know, the, the issue that you raise in, in saying that is that kids now not only have so many tools that they have available to them, but they're getting influences from so many different places, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are these behaviors that have arisen that spill over to this, like the phenomenon of swatting, yeah. you know, which arose in, in gameplay where kids are literally calling 911 and alleging that there's an incident at someone's house and the police show up and sometimes break in because they're worried about it. And people have died as a result of that. You know, so I think you get this, this atmosphere among some kids that these are relatively harmless pranks. And let's see how much disruption we can cause. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's the case. There are other times, and this complicates things even more because kids with mental health issues or kids with certain disabilities will be more prone to say things that could be considered mm -hmm. a threat to the school. And so, interesting. so that exacerbates it even more because these kids are already in a sensitive spot and then they say or do something that puts them in a more difficult situation. And th this is related to uh, the idea of suicidal ideation, that kids mm -hmm. will talk about wanting to hurt themselves or hurt others. And so we, the approach that I took that I learned from my superintendent in Kodiak District was that we should overreact and under sensationalize. So we don't go talking about it all the time, but we make sure that we overreact, we go above and beyond to ensure that the kid is safe, that people are safe, but then we under sensationalize it. So we're not going to go make announcements to everybody that this happened. And that was, that was our approach mostly with suicidal ideation, but it comes, it relates to the threats also, because you want to make sure that you're keeping everybody safe, 
but at the same time, you you don't want to make everybody think that there are threats to your school every single day, even if there are, because that's not a fun that's not a fun place no. for anybody to live all the time. No, I understand that, and and it would put people so on edge that it obviously would interfere with the educational process. But one of the thoughts that I have on this is to what extent do you or did you view these things as a teachable moment where there maybe maybe you don't want to for instance violate student privacy by revealing that someone's got suicidal ideation or something like that but you also want to hopefully educate kids about what the real dangers are of doing this and and what the potential problems are so was there a balance there in in terms of trying to literally educate kids about why this is not a bad, why this is not a good idea. Yeah. Well, my educational philosophy is that we should always be focused on learning and that even when mm-hmm. we're focused on safety, we're really focused on learning. And in, in this situation, this is where 99 times out of a hundred, we knew who the person was we knew what was going on. And this was exactly that a teachable moment to help them understand that they can't say things like this. So we would overreact to ensure people were safe and ensure that the kid learned, but at the same time, we're not going to, um, we're not going to say, okay, school, listen up, everybody. I'm going to get on the intercom and say somebody just made a threat to the school. I just want to remind everybody: if you put a threat in social media, that's not good. Uh, you know, that's not the kind of teachable moment we're looking at. We're looking at more sure. one-on-one individual with the kid who's actually doing it. And with the kids who are involved so that they know we respond to it. They know that this is not an appropriate thing to be sending to people and that we are going to respond to it every time we see it. And that's where the teachable moment comes in. So I will say with one exception, anytime somebody made a threat and it was one of our students, they didn't make the threat ever again that I'm aware of. And that's encouraging. I, I would assume as part of this, though, that you're also having to reach out to the parents. Yes, and, and gauge their awareness of the situation, and really, honestly, to help educate them about what their kid might be doing and how he or she is doing. Yeah, well, and this I assume is, it's overwhelming, overwhelmingly he. By the way, uh, yeah, usually it is a he. I wouldn't say it's that overwhelmingly. Um, a lot of girls will do it also, so I would say it's probably more like sixty forty than okay. eighty twenty or something like that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. and the thing is, is that the the aggression, and, and that's in my experience, so other people's mileage may vary, of course, but in, in my experience, um, girls would, would make different kinds of threats than the boys would, that the boys were much more, um, were much more aggressive violence focused, um, things like bombs or shooting up the school, things like that, but that the girls would, would make threats like, I'm going to, I'm going to come to school and beat this girl up. And, and I did have a situation where a girl was stalking the halls, trying to find someone that she wanted to fight where we had to put the school in lockdown in the moment. And so it's, um, and then girls are, are also much higher in my experience, um, than boys in the suicidal ideation as well. And so as I, as I lump those two together, then that's, I think what makes it more 60, 40 for me than, um, than just threats yeah, that, in general. That that I think is really interesting. I mean, at some point we will want to talk, I think, about 
um, some of the recent findings with respect to Instagram, for instance, and, and the impact that it's having, but that's a topic for another time. Um, how responsive did you find the parents when these situations arose? Yeah. So and can you generalize? Uh, I don't think you can generalize because each parent reacted to it differently based on how, what their kid was up to and what they knew. Um, so, you know, one, one student who, who doesn't have access to any weapons or have any experience with any weapons, making a threat to the school, a parent would say, that's ridiculous. We don't, we don't even have anything. There'd be no way for him to get anything. Um, even illegally, it would be very difficult because we don't even run in those kind of circles, you know, like our friends don't have guns or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but then uh, some parents, you know, recognize that their kid does have major issues and they're working through them and they say, okay, I'll add this to the list of things to talk to his counselor about. And, you know, we'll go, we'll go from there, but I'm not really phased by this. So um, in, in one situation, we had a, a student who had some uh, special needs and he made threats regularly. So again and again, repeatedly. And so we knew that he wasn't going to do anything. We knew he did not have the capability to do anything and that this was unfortunately a symptom of his uh, disability. And so we still responded to every single situation. We still talked to the parents every single time and you know, we would, again, check and make sure, does he have access to anything? Could he do anything? And is any of this possible? Do you know where he could get the materials to do this? Would he know how to do this? It, look at his internet history. Has he been looking for this stuff online? And we'd have that conversation pretty much every single time with these, um, with these people that helped them see that, yes, we are taking this seriously and there is something to it. But at the same time, we know this kid is most likely not going to do something. Um, and you never want to be wrong about that. <laughs> and so that's why you always have to you always have to make sure you're following all the procedures to make sure that happens. Well, and, and, and I think that's actually a great segue because, you know, the more people I would assume in your leadership team, you can get involved in this evaluation, you know, on the fly, the better off that is. But that I think really underscores the need for an incident response plan Absolutely. for this kind of thing. You know, and, and we talk about this, you know, I've done a bunch of cybersecurity lectures for school districts and the, the response plan preparation is so critical to dealing with these things effectively. You know, whether it's a cyber attack or ransomware or a, you know, some school violence threat, you need to know ahead of time what the checklist is for working through the problem and dealing with it effectively. Yeah, and if you don't have that in place, you really need to make it just for yourself, if nothing else, because your district should have a plan and you should have a process to go through. Um, but not all, I, I think at this point, most districts probably do have those in place, but not everybody takes it seriously because it hasn't happened here yet. And so that's where it's it's vital for people to, to make a plan and to know what they're going to do when that happens. And every situation is different and the way you're going to get it is different, but that doesn't mean that it's not possible to take a stance and make sure you know how you're going to respond to it. And well, look, I have some practical experience in this because when I was on the Burlington school board, 
we actually had to institute a program to review our policies and procedures for different things. And, you know, I'll tell you, I'm sure this will come as no shock, that there were some binders we were blowing the dust off yeah. when, we were tra- yeah. <laughs> when we were going through. I was like, wow, nobody's looked at this in 15 years. So <laughs> yeah, let's get up to speed on that. And, and I think that that's a really important point for administrators and school leaders to keep in mind, because, you know, this technology and the, the threat vectors change so frequently that it's really important to periodically update these policies and procedures and and make sure that not only have you addressed all of the emerging concerns, but that people who have taken over roles in your school district are up to speed. Yeah. And that they know what their new what their role is. And that is that is the old joke of schools is that you make an improvement plan or an accreditation plan. And you do all this work to put it in a binder and then you put it on the shelf and you never look at it. And that happens all too often. And and my recommendation for this would be that what whatever plan you have in place, you have to make it fit on one page. And if it doesn't fit on one page, then it's not going to be effective. Nobody's going to look at it. Nobody's going to follow through on it. Nobody's going to do the work that they need to do to make sure that it's that it's actually happening. So if it doesn't fit on that one page, then it's not worth it. And that's where we have to start is by getting these policies down or these procedures down to a snapshot. So you can see, like you said, a checklist and know exactly what we need to do. We can't be going into this, you know, 15 page uh, workflow to to make sure that everything's working you know you have to make it simple for people to know what their steps are well and i think one of the other things that's useful to remind people is that at both the state and the national level there's huge amounts of online resources to help people do the kinds of planning that they need to do about how to respond to these different kinds of situations and so i would really encourage people to Uh, make sure that they've done that kind of research. For instance, Jethro, um, as you know, I've been working on this Substack uh, Mm -hmm. newsletter as a way to organize and promote the work that you and I are doing in terms of the podcast. And one of the things I was looking at this morning was the news that the federal government has adopted a K-12 cybersecurity bill. And I didn't realize this, but if you go online to CISA.gov, there's a large amount of school safety resources available for IT departments and school leaders. Yeah, and there's a ton. in the next next week's issue of the newsletter I'm doing, we'll have the link to that. So people should go ahead and check that out. But this is where you do the planning ahead of time to make sure that everything is going to work properly. Yeah, and I want to just encourage everybody, cybertraps.substack.com. Uh, you should definitely check that out. And the resources that Fred has put into this are just mind-boggling. <laughs> so wow. there's there's you know, a lot of good I'll, stuff in there. And I'll tell you, Jethro, it's totally a byproduct of the work that you and I have been doing. I mean, you have a ton of fantastic stuff for school leaders that you're developing. And from my perspective, this is work we're doing anyway. So we may as well get it out there. Some of it will show up next summer in Cybertraps for Educators 3.0. 
Uh, there'll be a forward, hopefully, by Jethro to talk oh, about yeah, there the we go. <laughs> that we're working on. But um, let's wrap up this particular discussion, um, first of all, by saying, as we always do, we've got a bunch of resources that will be in the show notes. You should take a look at some of the incidents that are out there and some of the things that schools are doing. I think overwhelmingly what we talk about is this need to create a culture of awareness and a culture of cyber safety within a school community. Mm -hmm. The idea that we're all in this together, that school is something that is a positive value. And we want to try to encourage it to go smoothly. Yeah, absolutely. The best way to help with this is for people to talk openly about it without sensationalizing it. And so if you can talk about it before it happens and talk about how to how to report things when you see them and and not worry about being a snitch, but about doing a, a, a solid job as a fellow human being of reporting what's going on. Just that different perspective makes it makes a huge difference. So yeah, this is uh, a good discussion. Uh, as always in the show notes, there are tons of articles about um, this very topic. And so we just scratched the surface. I encourage you to check that out at cybertraps.com and, and look at the show notes and see all the resources there. Well, I think that's terrific. And my closing comment on this, Jethro, would be that um, one of the things that we will need to discuss in the future is this perpetual tension between schools doing enough monitoring to make sure that they're protecting the safety of the community, their staff and their students, and student privacy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'll remind every parent and, and hopefully all of our children listeners, all of our student listeners, that if you're putting things out on public media, whether it's a joke or it's an actual threat, you have no expectation of privacy with respect to that. Because anything that anybody can read publicly, you've put it out into the world. But that doesn't mean, for instance, as we dealt with in our school district, that student resource officers, for instance, should be creating fake profiles to try to friend students. I mean, actually, Facebook just asked the LAPD to stop doing that. So it's a real issue. It it sure is. And it's it's a strategy that people use to to figure those things out. And to me, that's crossing the line. That's, that's going too far. That's violating people's privacy. And, you know, we have to trust that our kids are going to do the right things and help us be successful. Well, with that, Jethro, I think we've come to the end of this episode. Once again, thank you for another great discussion. Yeah. This wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your colleagues and your friends and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating in your podcast service. We appreciate having you here and look forward to joining us for our next episode on Thursday.